But I was a kid. My parents, uh, they didn't leave our house in the evening very often, but every once in a while they would go on a date night or they would have an evening commitment and they would get a babysitter to come and watch me and my siblings. Now I have to tell you, I was a really anxious little kid when I was a kid. And I would worry about things and get really worked up about certain things. And that would happen particularly when my parents would be gone for the evening and when a babysitter would come over. Um, and so what would usually happen when that, when, when, when that happened is my, the babysitter would kind of put me and my siblings to bed. And I would lie in my bed wide awake and worrying about whether my parents would ever come home. I was just like convinced that that they were never going to come home. I would imagine all kinds of scenarios about what might have happened to them, and especially if they were a little bit later than what I was expecting, I would just start to get really anxious. I got really afraid. But then, eventually, every single time, I would hear the sound of their car driving into our driveway, and I would hear our back door open, and the sound of my parents' voices, and just all of that fear and anxiety melted away. As I heard their voices, they were home. Um, knowing that my parents were present in our house, it made a tremendous difference for me as a kid, knowing that they were there, they were present. Well, in our text today, we're going to be looking at the question of God's presence, his presence with the people of Israel and his presence with us, and how, in a similar way, his presence makes all the difference in our lives. We're nearing the end of the, the sermon series that we've been going through uh, since January on the life of Moses. And last Sunday, we looked at the rebellion of the people of Israel as they worshiped a golden calf uh, while Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the law from God. And we saw that um, you know, in that passage, we didn't read the entire account of it, but in that passage, God punished the people for, for their idolatry. But we saw that he didn't wipe them out completely, which he could have. Um, Moses interceded for the people, and so God had mercy on them. But one of the things that, that, uh, that happened after you know, the, the text we looked at last week in Exodus 32 is that God then tells Moses that they can continue on to the promised land now. Right? He's not going to destroy them. They can go on to the promised land. But he says, I will not go with you. God says, I'm not going to go with you to the promised land. And the people are distressed by this news. They mourn, they remove their ornaments and jewelry. And in a similar way that, that fear and anxiety gripped me when my parents were gone, when, when I, I wondered, are they going to ever come back? In a similar way, that the, the people of Israel, they were gripped with anxiety and distress and grief at the idea that God was not going to be present with them. So my sermon title this morning is God's Presence, and we're going to look at this question of God's presence going with the people of Israel, and we're going to see how, similar to last week, once again, Moses intercedes for the people, um, and then we're going to look at kind of the significance of God's presence in our lives as well. So our text today is Exodus 33, and again, we won't have the, the verses on the screen, but you can follow along in your Bibles, your phones, um, the, the Bibles in the pews. And we'll be looking at Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23. 
Um, kind of what I mentioned before about, about this interaction, we'll take a look at it in a moment, um, about God saying he's not going to go with the people, uh, is, is earlier in chapter 33. And we pick up the, the encounter here in verse 12. So Exodus 33, beginning with verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And in the Hebrew, that you is singular. I will go with you, Moses. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me. And live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Let's pray. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that you would open it up to us, God, give us understanding, uh, that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would um, give us ears to hear, God, you today, and, and, uh, and hearts to receive what you have for us. So speak now, Lord, we invite you, in Jesus' name, amen. As we focus in on this, this question of God's presence in our text today, I want to start by looking at our longing. For God's presence. That's sort of the first point, our longing for God's presence. Um, as I mentioned earlier, when God told Moses that the people of Israel could go up to the promised land, but that he would not go with them, the people responded with mourning. They could not handle the idea of going to the promised land without God going with them. I want you to listen to what God tells Moses earlier in this chapter. This is where God tells this to, to Moses. And in, in again, in chapter 33, verses 2 to 3, God says this, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. So basically God is saying here, you know what? I'm going to take care of all your enemies. I'm going I'm to, you know, I'm going to give you this land the enemies are gone. I'm going to give you this rich land with good food, milk and honey, lots of wealth, but I'm not going to go with you. 
Now, there's a lot of people in our world who would, when, if they heard that, would say, hey, that's a pretty good deal. Like, we get, a, we get no enemies, we get lots of, of, of land and, and, and good things. And in fact, there are a lot of people in our world who would actually prefer that arrangement. Safety, wealth, prosperity, but no obligation to God? I mean, like, we can get all this stuff and we don't have to follow God's laws or anything like that. That sounds pretty good. If I told you that you could have a guarantee of wealth and good physical health and safety and security from danger, but that you won't know God, how many of you would take that deal? It makes you face the question... What is actually your priority in life? What are you actually longing for in life? There are a lot of people who say they're Christians, who would say that they worship God, but the reason is that they're trying to get something from God. That God is really just a means to an end. I'll follow God if he gives me success and prosperity, and good health. And there are even preachers out there that will preach primarily that, that following God is about getting this other stuff. But if God is a means to an end, guess what you're actually longing for? Guess what you're actually worshiping? You're worshiping that end. You're worshiping the things that you're hoping God will give you. But Israel and Moses, they knew that the promised land without God wouldn't be worth anything. The Israelites knew that, that all this stuff, success and security and freedom from enemies, and, but if you don't have God, it's worthless. Moses, he, he cries out to God, pleading for God to go with them. In verse 15, he says, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Basically, Moses is saying, you know what? Don't even give us the land if you're not going to go with us to the land. Do you have that kind of longing for God's presence in your life? Would you be willing to give up material things, to be in a situation where your life was endangered every day to live a life of obscurity with no fame no worldly success no popularity but where you were experiencing the presence of God in your life where you had a closeness with God would you be willing to give up all that other stuff and just have God I think if we're honest most of us would have a hard time saying yes to that. Because our longing for God's presence is often not as great as our longing for those other things. And that is because we have believed a lie. We have been told that we need all these other things. That we will be fulfilled if we get them. That if we get enough security and wealth and success, that, that then life will be good, that, that that's what a good life is all about. 
And so we chase after these things. We spend our lives trying to accumulate achievements, wealth, popularity, power, happiness. And you know what? If being involved and going to church is another way to get some of that stuff, then I'll do that too, right? If I can get happiness and, and success and, 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 and power, maybe, by being connected, then, but it's, again, it's a means to an end. Guess what? At the end of your life, all of those things that we try so hard to accumulate, you're not taking any of that with you. In Mark 8, 36, Jesus says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Without God's presence, all this other stuff is meaningless. I'm not saying that those things are bad, right? It's not bad to, to, to have stuff, and ex- but without God... That stuff is meaningless. Israel knew that. And they said, if you're going to send us to the land and we get this stuff but we don't have you, God, we're not, it's, it's pointless. Moses knew that. He says, God, if, if you give us all this stuff but you're not there, what's the point? And here's the thing. Deep down, we all know that too. If you look at the lives of the rich and powerful, those who have all the things that we spend our lives trying to accumulate, are they content? Do they have a deep sense of satisfaction and joy? If you read the papers, if you read you know, entertainment uh, magazines, guess what? You can see very clearly, no. Those who are the most powerful and famous they often have tons of stuff that are messed up in their lives, right? They're not content. Mary Bell is a counselor who works with high-level business executives. And she says this. She says, achievement is the alcohol of our time. That these days, the best people don't abuse alcohol. They abuse their lives, She describes the feeling of of completing a project, which makes you feel great, right? You've you've achieved this this thing that you've been working at. But that feeling doesn't last forever. And so you think, I've got to start a new project to get that feeling back of success, of achievement. But the more success that you gain, the more you crave it. And eventually, the highs that you get from that success, they don't feel quite as high anymore. And you need to get more success to get back to that feeling. And when things don't succeed in the way that you're hoping, that's just crushing to you. Because it's all about your achievement. And so she says this. She, she, She summarized it by saying, an achievement addict is no different from any other kind of addict. You're never satisfied. You're addicted to a substance, you're never going to be satisfied because it's an addiction. And if you're addicted to success or, or any of these other things, you're never going to be satisfied. And what that reveals in us is this, that behind our longing for all these other things, 
is a longing for something, something that will satisfy that longing, but it's not any of these other stuff. It's a longing actually for God's presence. Because only God's presence will fill that void. You see, we were created by God for a longing for him. The 17th century uh, Christian philosopher Blaise Pascal talks about a void in our lives that can only be filled by God, what's often kind of commonly referred to as a God-shaped hole. That we, we're, we're created with that in us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 talks about God setting eternity in the human heart. And so we all have this longing for God's presence, but there are a lot of people who don't recognize that that's what the longing is actually for. And so they spend their lives trying to fill it with all this other stuff that will never fill the void because it's a God-shaped hole that only God will fill. And here's the sad reality. When we finally do recognize that all those longings that we have in our, our hearts will only be filled by God, it's then that we come face to face with the fact that because we've been chasing after all these other things instead of God, we've actually rejected God's presence in our lives. That by chasing after these things, we have basically told God, I'm not interested in you, God. I want this other stuff instead. And so just like Israel, who, who decided to start worshiping a golden calf instead of the true God, because of our rebellion and sin, God could easily say to us, I will not go with you. Because you have followed these other things, good luck with that. You can have it. But I won't go with you if you won't have me. We deserve for God to leave us with our false gods and to leave us chasing after things that will never satisfy us, to leave us with the whole world yet forfeiting our soul. That's what we deserve. But praise God that God doesn't do that. That he doesn't leave us there. That he has made a way for his presence to go with us even though we don't deserve it. He did that with Israel and he does it with us. And so the next thing I want to look at is the basis for God's presence with us. We have this longing for God's presence. Now, what is the basis? How can we get God's presence, especially when we have rejected him and, and, and chosen these other ways? Well, last Sunday, we saw that the reason that God didn't destroy the Israelites after the golden calf incident was because Moses interceded for them. That Moses asked God to show them mercy, and God did. And we see something very similar in today's text. That the basis for God's presence going with Israel is because, once again, Moses intercedes for Israel. The basis is intercession. Moses interceding for the people. You see, after Moses pleads with God to go with the people, in verse 17, God says, All right, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. And he's speaking there to Moses. The reason that God will go with the people is not because the people are so great, but he says it's because I'm pleased with you, Moses, and because God knows Moses by name. Here, Moses functions in a role that we've seen in, in other 
passages in Exodus, Moses functions as a mediator between God and the people. He opens the door for to reestablish this re- relationship. And as we've seen in previous weeks, what this is really doing is it's pointing ahead to the true mediator, the ultimate mediator, the one who mediates between God and sinful humanity, Jesus Christ. That Jesus intercedes for us. Although we don't deserve God's presence, Jesus intercedes with the Father to give God's presence to us. And when God talks to Jesus, he says the exact same thing that he said to Moses. I will do the very thing you have asked, Jesus, because I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. You see, the only hope of us being brought back together with God, of of having God's presence with us, is because of Jesus. Because God is pleased with him. Because God knows Jesus' name. Our only hope is to be connected to Jesus. He is our mediator who's opened the way for God to be with us. Last weekend, um, unless you were like hiding out in a cave, you probably could not help but hear about the royal wedding as Prince Harry of England married the American actress Meghan Markle. And when I first heard about this, this couple, I wondered... How in the world did Meghan Markle even meet Prince Harry, the Prince of England? How did that happen? Well, in an interview last November, after they got engaged, they, they shared in this interview that, that they shared a mutual friend who had introduced them and set them up on this blind date. Can you imagine that? Getting set up on a blind date with the Prince of England? That's what happened to, to Meghan Markle. And, and the only reason that Meghan Markle met Prince Harry was because of this mutual friend, the friend who kind of opened the door for her to meet him. The only reason that Meghan Markle is now British royalty is because of that friend who mediated between her and Prince Harry. Now, our identity as Christians is far surpasses British royalty. Right? We, because of our mediator, Jesus, we get to be called sons and daughters of God. We are a royal priesthood, as we, we read about in, a, in an earlier passage in Exodus. We get to know the God of the universe personally. That is infinitely more than the queen or the prince of England, right? But the only reason that we get to know this God, the only reason that we get to be called a royal priesthood and sons and daughters of God is because we know someone who can mediate for us. Someone who can go between. Jesus. He is our mediator. How did Jesus do that? How did he open the door for us? Well, when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our chasing after the things of this world, all the stuff that we were just talking about, how we're chasing after achievement and wealth, and we're like, God, I don't need you. I'm interested in this other stuff. Jesus took the consequences, the punishment for our rebellion on himself. And he paid for it in full. Jesus experienced the absence of God on the cross. 
As he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the separation from the Father as he took all of our sin upon himself. And he did that so that we can have the presence of God in our lives. So that we can be clothed in Christ's righteousness that allows us to stand in the presence of God. The basis for God's presence being with us has nothing to do with you or me. It has everything to do with Christ. So if this is the basis for God's presence, the last thing I want to look at today is the experience of God's presence with us. We have this longing for his presence. We don't deserve his presence. But in God's grace, he has given us his presence through Christ, through Jesus. So how do we experience God's presence in our lives? I mean, what does that look like in our day-to-day lives? Well, after God tells Moses that he will go with the Israelites, Moses says to God in verse 18, now show me your glory. If any of you have seen the movie uh, Jerry Maguire, where there's this scene where, where Jerry, Jerry having to say, show me the money, like he's screaming out, right? Show me the money. I just can't get that image out of my head when I hear Moses say, show me your glory, God, show me it. He's just calling out. God, I want your glory. Now, why in the world did Moses call out to God, show me your glory? I mean, Moses had already experienced God's glory in different moments, right? The burning bush we saw back in Exodus 3. He and the elders of Israel were up on Mount Sinai. They got to have this amazing experience of God's presence with them. He was getting the law from God, from God on Mount Sinai. But it seems that, that, that Moses was longing for something more than what he'd experienced up to this point. He wants this personal, tangible, glorious experience of the presence of God. Now, my guess is that many of us here can probably relate to that desire. When I was a teenager, there was this period of time in my life where I was praying regularly, asking God to just give me this tangible unmistakable experience of his presence. I was struggling with doubt at the time, wondering, is God really real? Is this, is this whole Jesus thing really real? And I was just, God, won't you just show me yourself? Won't you show me in a, in a way that's unmistakable, that I can just know that you're real? Show me your glory, God. Maybe you're here today, and you're longing for that experience in your life. I want you to notice how God responds to Moses' request. At the end of, 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 of the chapter we read, in verses 21 to 23, this is what God says. He says, There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. God here says to Moses, Moses, I know you want this like amazing experience of my glory, but you can't see my face. I can't show you the fullness of my glorious presence. The most you can see is my back after I've already passed by you as you're hiding out in this rock. That's that's the best you're going to get. 
Because earlier in verse 20, God says to Moses, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. The fullness of God's glorious presence, it would destroy us if we saw it. Because we are imperfect, sinful people. And so how do we experience God's presence? We've been talking about how, how we, we have this basis of God's presence. How do we get to experience God's presence when the best Moses got was getting to see a glimpse of God's back while he was hiding in a rock? Well, the key is what God says to Moses before he talks about hiding Moses in a rock. In verse 19, he says this. He says, Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. God says, I'm going to show you my goodness, Moses. I'm going to proclaim my name to you. As sinners, we can't handle God's glory. We can't. It would destroy us. But the way that God shows himself to Moses and the way that he shows himself to us is through his goodness. It's through the proclamation of his name. And the rest of verse 19, God reveals more of what his name really means when he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. If you remember back in Exodus 3, when Moses was at the burning bush and he said to God, God, what should I say your name is? If the people of Israel are wondering, what, what's your name? And God tells him, I am who I am. Here, fast forward, God says, I'm going to tell you more about my name, Moses. I am who I am. And guess what? Who I am is I am one who shows mercy. I will show mercy to who I will show mercy. I will show compassion to who I will show compassion. Who I am is merciful and compassionate. And so if you want to experience God's presence, guess where it's going to happen? It's through his goodness. It's through his mercy. It's through his compassion. And the place where we experience God's goodness and mercy and compassion is through Jesus. It's when we hear the gospel proclaimed to us. The good news of what Jesus has done for us. That's where we see God's glory. That's where we see God's presence. In John 1.14, we read the word who is God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we, this is John writing, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John says in Jesus we finally get to see God's glory. In fact, we finally get to see the face of God. It's still the face of God in clothes. It's, it's, it's in flesh, in human skin. It's not the fullness of God's face that we'll see one day in eternity, but, but it's the face of God in Jesus. When that God himself became flesh and he made his dwelling, his presence among us. So how do we experience God's presence with us today? It's only in and through Jesus Christ and in and through the gifts that Jesus has given us as his people. So when we hear the gospel of Jesus proclaimed to us, like I'm doing for you today, guess what? God is present here. He's present in that message. He's present in his gospel. When you open up 
This word to read about the God who loves you, who's compassionate and gracious, guess what? God is present here. That's where he's present for you. When, when we partake of communion, the Lord's Supper, where Jesus said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. God is present there as he gives us his body and blood. When we come together as followers of Jesus to worship and serve, what does God call us? He calls us the body of Christ. And so guess what? God is present right here in our midst. When we love and serve the least of these, Jesus says that we've done it to him. God is present there. When we pray in Jesus' name, we have direct access to the Father, and so God is present there as we gather to pray. And in a miraculous way, this is the most amazing thing. Something that wasn't true for Moses, that wasn't true for Israel, that because when Jesus came on the day of Pentecost, that was last Sunday, what did God send? He sent his Spirit. And where is his Spirit? It's within us. God is present here. That's amazing. We get to carry the very presence of God in our own bodies if we're followers of Jesus Christ. These everyday, seemingly ordinary experiences of prayer and service and worship and reading the Bible, guess what? It's in these places where we will experience God's presence. You don't need to climb a mountain. You don't need to go to a holy site. You don't need to go to a Christian conference with a rockin' worship band to experience God's presence. We can experience God's presence there too, if God chooses to reveal himself, right? But where God says where he is, it's in these ordinary, mundane things like pages of scripture and like a bunch of people gathered on a Wednesday night over in that office praying together and coming to the table to eat bread and wine. That's where God's present. And guess what? On this side of heaven, God's presence will often feel like we're looking at his back. Right? Where God sort of hides himself in these ordinary, mundane sort of things. But that's where God chooses to be present with you and with me. Will we see him there? Do we have a hunger for him there? So as we close, I just want to ask you a, a question. Do you have a longing for God's presence in your life? Do you have a hunger for his word and a desire to commune with him in prayer and a yearning to hear his gospel and a, a longing to worship and serve and fellowship with his body? Because the more you experience God's presence in these places where he has said, that's where I am, you're going to grow to hunger for him more. You're going to grow in a longing for his presence more. You're going to experience more and more of a, of a taste of him. In just a minute, we're going to close our service by singing the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And we're going to sing in that hymn, Look Full in His Wonderful Face. We get to look at the face of God in Jesus and then the song says this, and the things of earth, worldly success, 
achievement, wealth, popularity, power, all this stuff that promises fulfillment. The song says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and everything else will fall into place. Let's pray. God, we confess that so often we we are chasing after all these other things for our fulfillment and And God, we don't really have a deep longing for you, but we have a longing for ourselves and for to to lift ourselves up and and to be famous and to be recognized and and to be successful and and to have all the stuff that we see other people around us having, God. And and we get so lost in this chase, God, that that we miss the fact that, that you're there offering us yourself to fulfill all of our deepest needs. Lord, give us a longing for you. Give us a longing for you and your presence in our lives and that that we would run to those places where you say that you can be found in your word and in prayer and in worship and in service, God, that, that we would long for you there, that we would call out as Moses says, show me your glory, God. And we thank you, God, that you, you do. You show us your goodness. You proclaim your name to us of who you are and who we are, that you're merciful to us. God, help us to be satisfied in, in you. And God, we know that, that there's this deep longing within us that, that will never fully be satisfied in this life because it's a longing to finally see your face, face to face. And we thank you that you, because of Jesus, give us that hope that one day we will see you in all of your glory in heaven, in eternity, when we will look upon you and not be destroyed, but where we will be invited to sing your praises forever and ever and ever. God, give us a hunger for that day, for your glory, even as you reveal yourself and your presence with us here too. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.